Coming up, Eddie Muller joins Ileana in just a minute. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV shows. Hello, everyone. I am Ileana Douglas. Welcome to the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. Hi, Dennis. Uh, I'm so thrilled to be here. It's Quentin Tarantino's birthday today. Oh, thank God. Big shout out to uh, my goodness. I so admire Mr. Tarantino, film lover. Um, I briefly got to work with him, you know, in the film. Um, She's funny that way. God, that was exciting just all day long to talk about obscure uh, films. And he runs a movie, th- in addition to, of course, being an amazing director who still works on film, mm-hmm. runs the New Beverly uh, Theater here in Los Angeles. We're so privileged to have that showing his own uh, prints from his own uh, oh, wow. collection. So uh, just one of the, I don't know, one of the great people in the in the film business. So we're getting our little, uh, oh, I, and I realized I didn't even say hello to Tamara Burke. Oh, my goodness. Hello. I just started talking. We, I just we've started, been, we're out of our rhythm a little bit because it's been a few days. I know. We've had some time off. I've been in Ojai. My brain is still in Ojai. Right. I love that you're away. I'm working nose to the grindstone, yeah. being a quirky actress, filmmaker, and Thank director. God. It's killing me. <laughs> uh, also, another brief uh, shout out to a guest on the show, Alfred Molina, who is unbelievable as Robert Aldrich in the film uh, Feud, which has been, well, miniseries. It's been airing. airing, uh, I've been glued to it every Sunday night and texting and posting with my friends and stuff. So it's really been been enjoyable to watch him. And I'm betting Eddie's going to have some opinions about that, too. Our guest, Eddie Muller, who I long time uh, uh, friend and uh, as we call ourselves uh, from the TCM family, Oh, yes. And uh, we've been on many a cruise together. Fantastic. TCM Film Festival. Eddie's always the one that when I'm going home, I'm I'm finding my way back to my room. He's going out for the night. Oh. Yes. Well, those, you know, he's the czar. He's the noir guy. He's the czar of noir. So he's he's out, uh, you know, sleuthing, I guess. Late at night. Being a gumshoe. Late at night. Yes. Chasing dames. So we're going to be talking about the noir (laughs) festival, which is running uh, all this week at the American. American Cinematheque, uh, the, which is the Egyptian theater on Hollywood Boulevard. And uh, so uh, we're going to be discussing that. Also, the TCM Film Festival, which is coming up April 6th through the 9th. Yes. Uh, and they're honoring. Uh, I think the thing I'm most excited about is that they're doing a father-son, uh, uh, Carl Reiner and Rob, Rob Reiner. Reiner. Oh, my gosh. Yes, handprint footprint, which is literally. <gasps> wow. That's my favorite thing of the festival. I don't know why it's just it's just like old showbiz. Yes, um, I was part of the you know the Jerry Lewis one. I watched uh, Peter O'Toole get his. Oh, it's oh so gosh. Jane Fonda. That's always my favorite thing. Yeah. I don't know why. It's yeah. just like sur- it's just so surreal. It's such it- a throwback. Yes. And there's there's great well there's great permanence to a lot of the work yeah. that you guys do with you know films living on forever but there's something so tangible about you know watching that ceremony and yeah and seeing the and seeing the, the fans results. come out and uh, just knowing that yes it, there's been a long standing. Uh, a tradition to you know to honoring uh, people there, and I know some of my favorites. They have Peter Sellers, is there, so I have a I, I I'm you know I'm always there too, putting my you know my little hands, seeing seeing who's got the tiniest little feet. Yeah, and plus seeing uh, uh, you know uh, friends from that that I tweet with all year. TCM party. Gang. Oh, nice. Yes, uh, they're always out and about, and people get dressed up and little costumes and things hollywood costumes so it's a great it's a fun time of uh it's a fun time of year and i'm looking forward to it the opening night film is uh, in the heat of the night excellent with lee grant uh and sydney poitier in attendance lee grant directed my grandfather in the film oh wow tell me in a riddle and uh got to and in- i've been able to interview her for trailblazing women so she's in her 90s 
So pretty, yeah, pretty amazing, amazing lady, and uh, done some fantastic uh, films that they're going to be showing. The landlord, which is somewhat uh, obscure, mm-hmm. although my, I love her. I love Lee Grant in Shampoo. That's still oh yeah, still one of my favorite uh, performances of hers. And she was in the uh, the dete- detective story, I believe she was in that film. We're going to have to ask Eddie about that. Um, but anyway, those are all the exciting things. We should bring Eddie yeah, in. Yeah, let's bring so, Eddie in. He's going to have things to say. Here Eddie's so busy. He's gonna he's doing our show, and then he's hopping a plane. Uh, he calls himself a word slinger. And are you? What's happening? Is there an earthquake? My lovely co-host Tamara has fallen. Sorry, Eddie. Eddie, come on in here. He is a wordslinger, empresario, noirologist, and you may know him from his books, Dark City, uh, Tab Hunter Confidential, The Making of a Movie Star. I actually read that book, and I have it signed by Tab Hunter and Grindhouse, The Forbidden World of Adults Only. Please welcome the czar of noir, <laughs> Eddie Muller. Now, who, who coined the phrase, uh, oh, and if you... I'm going to do this. I'm yes. going to do this. Hi, Eliana. How are you? Hi, Eddie. We've <laughs> talked so many times. With the first I know. Now I'm going to grill you. But now it's like official. Yes. Right. Take me down to the station house and grill me. Exactly. Yes. I love it. Okay, who coined the phrase? Although I already know. Who coined the phrase? <laughs> we don't know, one, though. May, maybe you don't. <gasps> oh, okay. Bizarre. Because there are, you know, alternate facts about these things. It's like the Oscars. Oh, yeah. It's like yes. the Oscars. Yes. Betty Davis coined the... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh it was actually a woman named Laura Shepard, uh-huh. who was the event coordinator at the Mechanics Institute Library in San Francisco. And, and she coined the expression, thank God. Cause, um, it's a good one. It is she, a good it, one. She was, I gave her a big sheet, you know, of, of my accomplishments. Yes. And she, just got, and she just got tired of reading. <laughs> <laughs> so she's going down the list and she says, oh, hell, he's just like the czar of noir. And and as soon as that popped out of her mouth, I I like went over and I gave her a big kiss and I said, I think you just boosted my career significantly with that. Yes. You know. Now, you were going to say James Elroy. Yes, I was. Yes, because Elroy gets credit for it. Oh man. Because he was the first one to indulge me by calling me that right. publicly. You know, mm-hmm. he he dug it. Hey Czar, how's it going, baby? Hey Czar, how you doing? You know. Yeah. And uh, great. And he and every, and social media picked that up and said yeah. James Elroy calls him the Czar of Noir. True well, enough, that's pretty good. But he didn't he didn't actually didn't create it. You know. Okay, we're gonna. For, but can I say one last thing about please, that? Please go ahead. I I object because I'm very careful about this, and I know that you appreciate it. I object when people say, "Hmm, he's the self-proclaimed Czar of oh. Noir," because. I didn't say I didn't. I use it. I admit I use it shamelessly. It's cool, but I didn't make it up for myself. Yeah. You know, my dad. My dad was a sports writer. Yes. So I knew the value of a nickname. You know, mm-hmm. if you're in a, an athlete or something, you gotta have a nickname. You know, so there you go. So uh, we always to start the show, and now I'm be curious if it is a noir. We're gonna get away from noir for a millisecond. But what was the first? Do you remember the first movie you saw, and who took you to see it? <laughs> Boy, are you gonna be disappointed? No, I'm, not, I'm never. We're never I believe. Disappointed. I believe. Get out. <laughs> I I believe the first movie I saw was Yogi Bear and Jellystone Park. Which was, you know, uh, at the boys, the boys hot springs theater in boys hot springs, California, Mm -hmm. which is like between Sonoma and Santa Rosa, Mm -hmm. California, where my parents had a little summer retreat, um, where I would spend weekends and things during the school year. And then I'd spend the whole summer there. Mm -hmm. And I believe, uh, I went with my sister on like a afternoon. She took me to see Yogi Bear and Jellystone Park. Right, so, and uh, and then I quickly graduated up. I, I think that the time between Yogi Bear and then horror films uh-huh. was like a blink of an eye. Then it was like onto the Deadly Bees and the Green Slime and all this stuff. And I was I was a little too young to see those movies, so it was like this really push pull thing. Right, where I want to go see this movie. It's going to be so scary. And then I'd really get scared yeah. and freak out and like I, I think I have to leave. You know. <laughs> <laughs> So I saw a lot of films in that weird kind of... It, it was a funny 
childhood because I was I'm from San Francisco and so mm-hmm. I spent most of my time in you know the urban environment of San Francisco but I would spend summers in this very pastoral small town in northern California there was a totally different vibe mm-hmm. is, is Santa Rosa where uh, shadow of a doubt takes uh, place that is exactly oh. good call Yes, uh, that's where Uncle Charlie meets his uh, lovely niece Charlie, and uh, very bad things happen. Yes, it's uh, I well, it's a, that part of the country is so you know Hitchcocky, and San Francisco is one of my favorite cities. <laughs> also Hitchcockian in a way. Yes. 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 So you you said your dad was a sports writer, and he what what did he cover? He covered boxing. He covered boxing. Yes, that God. was it. That was it. He was he was like the czar of the ring, you know. Yeah. Um, he was actually known as Mr. Boxing. That's mm-hmm. what they called him. And uh, he, he wasn't much of a movie guy, mm-hmm. you know. But I have I have good stories about watching movies with my dad. Like like the only time or the first time I saw my dad cry mm-hmm. was watching a movie, which I thought was pretty awesome. And the movie was Deadline USA because it's a newspaper movie with yeah. Bogart, you know. And the end of that movie, which I've had the the privilege of doing the audio commentary on the DVD release of that film, mm-hmm. and I almost made myself cry <laughs> on the commentary, like remembering how I saw my father like tear up because I didn't really I don't know how old I was maybe thirteen or something, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I didn't get why this was so meaningful to him, and you know, it's about the newspaper business and how significant it is and even back then Richard Brooks who wrote it was kind of Mm -hmm. predicting the demise of the newspaper business and boy this really choked my dad up you know and uh, it was so weird like why is why is a man crying watching a movie I didn't get it and And did your mom did your mom like movies did you (laughs) so she's the the failed actress. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. I see. Yes. I see. My mom, if I had a nickel for every time my mom said, you know, I could have been in this movie, you know, uh, she was like a huge Betty Davis fan. And, uh, you know, that was her. She wanted to be in the movies. No question about it. Oh, I see. And uh, so, yes, she was a drama queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that fits in for your later noir. So you. you that s- must be why I am obsessed with all those actresses. The, yeah. Oh, God, you've got me on the couch now. In the, uh, <laughs> all those cra- it, ha- it happens here. It happens crazy days. We're going to get to that. So originally you... St- we'll trade places. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. be over there in a second. You can stretch yeah. out over here. Yeah, you can okay. always turn the table. You can always decavit me and turn the table. <laughs> yeah. um, well, no, you've done that yourself, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's the nice one. The, the mean one's coming oh, up. Oh, 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 okay. No, the, uh, the uh, so you studied filmmaking. So you, originally, were you going to be a filmmaker? Like, what were your what were your? Did you want to be a filmmaker? Doesn't everybody? <laughs> I, think, I think that's like our culture today, right? You, I yes. think, kids at six years of age is like when haven't you made your first film yet? I mean, well, you're, see, I, right, you're exactly. getting old. You're ten. You're getting really old now. To I know. Be where did, your where first. did you study filmmaking? At the San Francisco Art Institute. Oh, yes. You know, which is, you know, it was an odd experience. But yes, I wanted to. At one point, I thought I would be a filmmaker, mm-hmm. and uh, and I have made films but for various reasons i i became a writer instead mm-hmm. uh i mean primarily a writer instead um i also uh at one time i wanted to be a comic book illustrator mm-hmm. I, I was a huge comic book fan when i was a kid and i i i'm embarrassed to say i can really draw but i never do it i never do it You're i don't kidding. have time to do it anymore i mean i, I studied painting an illustration at the art institute as well, wow. um, and I, you know, I have a lot of stuff that, um, <laughs> you know, a backlog of material that I've done. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping I can get back to that. Yeah. You know? So all of this stuff just kind of, um, it was film was a natural thing because mm-hmm. I, I, w- I was a storyteller forever, and it was interesting because my dad was not a super sophisticated guy he didn't go to college i mean my dad barely graduated from high school you know Mm -hmm. but that was a different generation i mean you know about this and i love that generation where like people just were self-taught they just did it you Mm -hmm. know 
mean, my dad was working in the newspaper offices when he was a boy. He was a copy boy at the San Francisco Examiner when he was 12. He never worked anywhere else. His entire life, he worked for the San Francisco Examiner wow. and just worked his way up from copy boy to covering fights to then getting a byline mm-hmm. to then like ending up in like the Boxing Hall of Fame. Is this, you know, he wrote without being a particularly, um, I mean, I was going to say without being particularly literate. I mean, obviously he was literate, but he wasn't a guy who like read books or went to the movies or anything. I mean, he he knew the fight game and he mm-hmm. knew boxers and he wrote about it and that was very significant for me to see somebody like you can do this for a career you know because i didn't see any of that intellectualized part of it like mm-hmm. oh i'd like to write a book someday but you know i have to be trained properly and how to do that. my dad was just like dead right. you know and uh, that that was very inspirational to me like you can kind of do anything you want you and know? what was that environment like that was it you know was it like the movies was it very seedy totally. and scary and, uh, <laughs> you know? y- yes and yes and no i mean i i have traced my film noir obsession back to my relationship with my father mm-hmm. um because it was very much like the movies mm-hmm. i was born very late in my dad's life so the the pictures that I saw, like all that received stuff of his life and mm-hmm. his prime, probably like looking when you look at your grandfather's stuff, it's like, um, wow, look at this. This is amazing. But I didn't actually know that guy mm-hmm. because he was older when when he was my dad, right? So it's like, I want to know that guy. He seems really cool. Mm-hmm. And the movies were sort of an entree into that world for me because like when i would watch film noir it was like that was that was what my dad lived in mm-hmm. right especially with the boxing thing because there are so many great boxing movies you know the setup and body and soul and champion and the heart yeah. of they fall all these movies i really felt like i was i was watching dad's home movies mm-hmm. in a way so that it, but what was really crucial for me is he was a different person at work than he was at home totally different so there was a there was a certain theatricality to his life that i was not aware of until he decided i was old enough to go to the fights with him wow right and then i would go he'd take me like ringside and it was like a movie because suddenly my father was this other man and he was cussing and he was and he was talking with gangsters you know, and it, how, it was, how old were you? I was like 16. You know, you had to be, and, and he was very careful about this because it was like, look, he goes to public school. He, you know, these kids, they're kids. You know, they, he knew that we were learning these words. And so he said, it was almost like, well, let me show you how it comes from an expert. <laughs> and, and seriously, I mean, yeah. he, it was like, oh my God. And he would just say, you're not going to tell your mother about this. <laughs> it was like, okay. But I mean, but I love was, that bond. You know, that's yeah. Yes, it was. A, it was a very serious bond, and it, mm-hmm. and it was like this man's world because mm-hmm. my, my mother never set foot in a boxing arena in her entire life. My mother never rode the bus. You know, I mean, it was like my dad just had this whole other life mm-hmm. that was uh, that the boys were let in on at a certain point. Like this is how it goes in the guy's world. Okay. Yes. But the thing that's interesting about that is he, that was for his professional life. At home, he was the nicest, gentlest, sweetest guy and, and just great, really supportive, never pushed me. He was not like a stage dad mm-hmm. or anything, you know. I mean, when, when, and when I started writing, he was very proud of that, but he didn't put on a big show about it, mm-hmm. you know. I, in fact, it, one day I discovered a file folder in his room at our house and I was snooping around, you know, and I looked in it and it was like stuff I had written that he had made Xerox copies Aww. of to show to his colleagues oh, to wow. say, yeah, my wow. chip off the old block, you know, the kids writing now, that's wow. the best. but he didn't tell me that he had done that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay, that's enough about my dad. Come on, that's. I uh, know. I, I love hearing these stories. Okay, but it's. I mean, it is a foundation for what now, you've ended up doing. So. Uh, absolutely, there's no question about it. You know, and and so I, I feel very, very fortunate. You know, 
to if you have a really cool parent that you can emulate and uh, that inspires you, I mean, you're 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 good. You're yes. good. <laughs> I would have liked. I had Dennis Hopper. Yes, you did. Yes, you did have Dennis. Okay, Hopper. let's talk about noir. Now, this is going to be really fun. Just, uh, well, for me anyway. No, it's going to be fun for everyone. Even though you've said this a million times, explain the phrase, you know, film noir and where it came from and the components of noir. Oh, my God. Okay, go. That's my follow-up. And now if this was like, if we were actually doing this now on TCM, they would say, okay, they would ask me that same question, and then one voice would go, in 10 seconds. Yeah. We have time. We have time. We have an hour. Okay. I think it'll Um, be really fun because we hear terms. Yes. And then you just don't even, I remember Well, it's interesting because, um, and, you know, I am the czar of noir now, but I'm not like this hardcore purist about it because Mm -hmm. I'm sort of fascinated to see how these things are assimilated into the culture. And, And so I don't think there's like a right or a wrong answer and people are always okay just to tie it into my dad again right Mm -hmm. i remember when i was a kid people would phone call our house in the middle of the night like after midnight Mm -hmm. the phone would ring and my dad would like fall out of bed and go yeah yeah he thought like something was wrong and it'd be two guys in a bar having an argument over what round did he, you know, did Joe Lewis knock out Abe Simon? What round was that? You right. know, I got 50, you know, <laughs> bucks that says it was the third round. Right. And my dad would settle these arguments, right? And, and literally, there was no discussion. Mm-hmm. When my dad said, this was it. Yeah. He's Mr. That was Boxing. It. Money came out of the wallet and it changed hands, <laughs> you, know, you know? So it's funny because now, like, people say you know what was the first film noir movie and i'm like you know that this isn't the same thing this isn't like right, what right, round right, did the right. guy get knocked out at? <laughs> this is all a judgment call right. for everybody right? right yeah but it's funny that people think that it's like you know that muller he said the maltese falcon was the first film noir and it's not even film noir he doesn't know what he's talking about and it's like Come on, you can say yeah, anything well, there's you always going to be arguments. so anyway the, the whole film noir thing was it is what I call Hollywood's only organic artistic movement, mm-hmm. by which there is no reason for these films to exist. This was created by the artists. Mm-hmm. The studio bosses didn't say, let's do this film noir thing. That sounds like a good idea. Right. You know, there wasn't even a name for it. That all came later. Mm-hmm. But they're largely uh, crime thrillers or murder dramas, and mm-hmm. there is a distinction. Um, and it, to me, it was a lot of stuff that was built up during the Depression uh, because the underpinning of it is the writing, uh, Depression-era writings uh, about desperate lives, you know, how mm-hmm. hard it is for people and what people will do when, when they're put in a desperate situation. That's mm-hmm. the, you know, that's drama in general. But crimes are committed. And... It's really noir when the protagonist of the story is the criminal, mm-hmm. right? It's like Postman Always Rings Twice. Drifter meets a woman, falls for her. She says, help me knock off my husband. They're, yeah. the, they're the stars of the show, right? Right. I mean, that, that was kind of a new thing for Hollywood. Like, is it like, okay, that we can make the bad guys the center of attention? Mm-hmm. It's not the cop that's chasing them. It's actually them. Is that we can do that? And the answer was a resounding yes, mm-hmm. because the artists wanted to go there. It's like, and and the actors jumped all over it. And I, I am one of these people. I don't think the actors get nearly enough credit for popularizing film noir. Sure, mm-hmm. the writers were writing them, and the cameramen made it look that way. Right. Movies didn't have to look so dark and shadowy, mm-hmm. but it was a thing. Suddenly, it's like, did you see what? Woody Bradell did over at Universal on that film. It was fantastic. Let's do it like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just happened, right? But it took the actors like Bogart, you know, and uh, John Garfield and, you know, to make this popular. The public wanted to... I want to see Humphrey Bogart be that bad guy. I want to see John Garfield, like, torn 
with, with his conscience over Atlanta Turner. Right. Oh my God, I, I'm going to kill this guy for her. You know, it's very exciting and very dramatic. And uh, and then you started to see like one of our favorites we've talked about many times, Nightmare Alley. Oh well, we're going to get to that. Yeah, well, when Tyrone Power says. Like- the hell with playing a swashbuckling hero i want to play this degenerate you know uh that popularizes this and that's Mm -hmm. that's why it became uh, a movement Mm -hmm. you know and uh and it's uh been amazing how durable it's been and uh how influential it's been because it's it's inspired so many Mm -hmm. artists who want to do similar things you know and uh, anyway, so that's why that's kind of where it originated. It's called film noir because, um, you know, the the now accepted answer for that is that these American films weren't seen in Europe during World War II, right? right? So when the Nazis occupied France, mm-hmm. and you know, let's face it, Paris is like the movie going capital of the world. They're mm-hmm. the most cinema savvy culture on earth. Uh, but they weren't seeing American movies during the war, mm-hmm. during the occupation. So once uh, France was liberated, all the Hollywood movies of the last 45 years just flooded mm-hmm. in, and they did these big festivals, and the French critics recognized, like, well, the movies are different now. And largely because so many European directors had emigrated to Hollywood, mm-hmm. like Fritz Lang and Otto Preminger, and, you know, uh, right. all. So um, the. There was now this European sensibility, mm-hmm. and uh, and they that's where the film noir name kind of stuck. Literally, black film, right? Because right. it, it was darker. Why why did Hollywood suddenly get dark? You know, and and that was it, and it stuck. So, what are the components that uh, that make like a great? And we're I want to get to your like must see noirs, <laughs> but. Um, you know, what are the components? I mean, again, when I think of a noir, it's got to have, you know, a great dame, a, a, <laughs> a tough guy. I mean, you know, we're going to get to the are you some of your favorites, but like out of the past, mm-hmm. you know. Well, yeah. Lady from Shanghai. I mean, does it start out, you know, it always has, you know, the crazy, uh, I always think of the crazy camera angles, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of the shadows. Uh, well, I, I think of it in two ways. Mm-hmm. There's, if you're looking at it like a writer, you're looking at the themes and the action, like what actually happens. If you're looking at it like a stylist, you know, yeah. from a director or cinematographer or art director's point of view, then noir to you is the style. It is those camera angles, the the really shadowy cinematography, high contrast, you know, oh. single source lighting, all of that stuff. You're going to say, what is noir? And then somebody's going to answer, rain slick streets, you know, Venetian blind shadows, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. That's, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. I would answer, it's desperate people doing desperate things that mm-hmm. they didn't know they were capable of. Oh, I love that. You that. Know, to me, yeah. that's like yeah. film noir. It's like when the guy who's the insurance agent wakes up one day, and by the time 24 hours has passed, he's like on the lam with some woman that he just met, and it's like, I can't believe my life has just completely run off the rails, you know. To me, that that is film noir. Yeah. And and, so there are a lot of movies that have the look and the feel, you know, something Mm -hmm. like Dragnet, the original Dragnet movie, Mm -hmm. really looks like film noir, but it's a story about cops hunting people down, and the cops are the protagonists, Mm -hmm. right? I never think of film noir with cops, good cops, as the (laughs) protagonists. Now, if the cop is rotten, you know, like Dana Andrews and Where the Sidewalk Ends, or Edmund O'Brien and Shield for Murder, or something, like, you know, the cop who kills the witness and steals the money and then is in a perfect position to cover up the crime because... He's a cop. You yeah. Know? It's like, that's film noir. Um, I want to talk about some of your favorite films, but I want to make sure that we talk about the festival, uh, which is going on, and you're in your 19th year. <laughs> Holy years. smokes. How did that happen? Well, you know, one of the interesting things I was thinking about <laughs> noir is that it, it, it it's, I think it's enjoying a real uh, popularity right now. I remember, like, watching movies in the in the 80s and there was a real popularity for noir and then it mm-hmm. seemed to kind of it, wane it, go, it goes in cycles and yeah. then now it's back i don't know if it has anything to do with the real times but you know they're just so juicy and we can all 
I don't know anyone who doesn't like a noir, but and talk about the film festival. Well, the film festival, yes, 19 years. Which is years. going on now. Yeah, the People. Egyptian Theater in Hollywood, uh, co-presented by the American Cinematheque and my nonprofit, Film Noir Foundation. And we exist to uh, rescue and restore examples of this artistic movement uh, that would otherwise slip through the cracks, you know, for various reasons, which maybe we can discuss if you want to. Sure. Uh, but this year, what we're doing that's really interesting is I wanted to recreate the as close as could be the experience that people would have had going to see these movies when they first came out. And we're doing this yeah. by each night we do a double bill, mm -hmm. and the double bill, the two movies are from the same year released in the same year, but one is an A picture, mm -hmm. like produced at the A unit at the studios, and we tried to get a range of studios, you know, Paramount and MGM and Columbia and Warner Brothers, uh, and then the second feature is a true B feature, mm -hmm. and a lot of people, younger people today, don't understand that they think a B movie, that's like a pejorative thing, like, well, that's a real B movie, you know, mm -hmm. like it's a type of movie, when in fact a B movie was a B movie, it was the bottom half of the double bill, it was made for less money, it had a shorter running time, they were typically genre pictures, because they, it just worked out that way, like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, and they're showing this with a Western, Oh, they're showing this with a crime thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like 67 minutes long or something, you know. These are the films that today are the most rare. Mm -hmm. Because as things developed, um, media distribution didn't know what to do with a movie of that length. The movie's only 67 minutes long. Where, where, where the hell do we put right. that, you know. Um, you know, that's my, that's my voice of the business. You ever notice that when I when I yes, when I just do, do the omniscient? Yes. We don't know what the hell to do with yes. that. You know, that it comes straight gravelly. from my dad. Yes. That comes straight from my dad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> my generic boss guy yes, voice. You know. Great. Well, you did. Uh, so you restored the opening night film was uh, this gun for hire, right? Which again, I haven't seen. And sort of, it's interesting. You you think. Oh, yeah, that's right. This Gun for Hire I hadn't seen in a long time. I, I, I got to tell you, Eliana, it was amazing that night how many people came up to me after the movie and said, I thought I had seen this. Yes. But I actually had not. And this is another fascinating thing is that I've been doing this for 19 years now, right? So before the movies, I always have to say, so how many people have not seen this movie before? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you, 70% of the audience raised their hand. So it's like this is this is why we do what we do, right? And, yeah. Uh, it, it's there's a whole new generation of people who who think they know what this stuff is, right? But have actually seen the parodies right. of these movies right. and haven't seen the actual movie itself, right? right? So how many people had seen hundreds of imitations of Veronica Lake? But they hadn't actually seen Veronica Lake. Right. You know? This exactly. is the original blonde with the fall, and you know she's yeah. like four feet tall, and she's you know how does that you know that firecracker fit in that tiny little dress? You yeah. Know? Um, and it's it's pretty fascinating. I really enjoy what I do because it's like there's a whole new audience to turn on to this stuff. Anyway, so here's here's the point. So we showed this gun for hire. Yes. And it was like big hit. Everybody loved it. And I get to go up there and say, you know, this was like a really crucial film in the development of film noir because Alan Ladd, they didn't realize that, you know, he's the villain. He the quote unquote villain, mm -hmm. the assassin who gets made the fall guy and then it's like nobody's gonna play me for a chump. And so he hunts down the people that he was working for because he's going to get even mm -hmm. with them, right? And then he falls in love with the woman who's innocent in the plot, Veronica Lake, and she turns out to be tougher and has more metal than anybody realizes. And, you know, the, and originally they were going to cast Peter Lorre in that role. Wow. Right? And then they, <laughs> and then they cast this beautiful blonde guy, and it's like, that was the revelation, and the and the public went nuts. It's like, oh, he is so sexy. He is just great, you know. And that was important to the development of film noir. It's like the bad guy can be really sexy and as enticing as 
the the dame is it you know because mm-hmm. Veronica Lake is not a femme fatale in that movie. She's a very plucky, resourceful nightclub entertainer. You know, she's another thing that people often get wrong. They just assume that the woman in these films is a femme fatale, right? You know, because they look so gorgeous and that look from that period. But film noirs were like the independent women. Yeah, were in these movies. I mean, they, they're they're self reliant, take charge, equal to the man. Mm-hmm. So when the man is like, oh, you know, just, I, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. The woman is like, well, you know, I'll help you out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, whatever, because you're obviously you're lost without me. So <laughs> you know. Well, there was also I know one year when I saw uh, I don't remember the name of the movie, but I saw Claire Trevor in a film that that you were explaining. It was sort of as her career was. Fading out, and she was it wasn't as easy to get jobs, but mm-hmm. you could still get a job doing a noir. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah. and so that's why that's important too. Well, she was kind of a grand dame of noir at a certain point. Yeah, and, and I remember uh, I I had the privilege of speaking with her mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit before she died. She had very bad emphysema at the end, and I was going to go to her house and do this long interview with her, and and she just called me up and said, "Honey, I." I don't have the breath. (laughs) But we talked on the phone and it it was great. But I was explaining all this, this, and you know exactly what I'm talking about with this. I was like trying to get her to talk about these movies like Raw Deal. Yes. This one that she made with with Dennis O'Keefe. And I'm explaining the plot to her. And he says, so you're in it. And, uh, you know, Marsha Hunt is in it. And she goes, and undoubtedly, I'm the bad girl, and Marsha's the good girl. And I said, well, yeah. And she goes, yes, I know. That's how that went, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I'm explaining the plot, and she says, I have no idea about this movie. And I said, really? And she goes, honey, I made a lot of them. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Now, do you, you have any of all the noir uh, actresses you've, interviewed yet any favorites oh the ones out? that i've interviewed oh my god I've, I've seen some of them. i i love them all you know i mean i can't say a favorite i, yeah. I can tell you in a nutshell like a sketch of mm-hmm. like well Marsha hunt is the most remarkable human being i've ever met mm-hmm. that's that's it i mean and i and i made a short film with her that is still the high point of my creative life mm-hmm. was directing Marsha in this short film and and she is just Sensational. She will be 100 years old on wow. October 17th. Incredible. And uh, yeah, she was fantastic. Uh, Evelyn Keyes was like the brightest, most provocative woman mm-hmm. that I've ever known. Uh, Jane Greer was the funniest woman. Well, present company. I gotta, I gotta say, you know, no, you're, no, you're Jane... pretty funny. You're pretty funny, Ileana. No, I love Jane Greer. Jane, Jane Greer. See, and that's what was great about getting to know her is that. Everybody thinks of Jane Greer as like this sexy, yeah. beautiful young thing, and she never really got to play comedy, which was clearly what she should have been doing. But she was so beautiful that beautiful women don't get to do comedy, mm-hmm. you know? And she was a mimic. I have tape recordings that I've made of her imitating all these actors that she worked with. She'd do a great Bob Mitchum. She would imitate best Howard Hughes imitation imaginable. Oh, wow. And it's, you know... She was pretty sensational. Did you ever get to talk to Elizabeth Scott? Well, Liz Scott was, uh, you know, well, the late late Liz Scott. She was, um, with all due respect, like the real Norma Desmond. (laughs) You know, uh, she was going to protect that Liz Scott image, you know, and. uh, Which was? uh, You know, she was the haughty ice queen of film noir and she was a very sophisticated woman she had uh extremely refined taste uh art you know she she just knew a lot Mm -hmm. but she did not want to talk informally at any time because she was afraid it was going to go places she didn't want the conversation to go because Mm -hmm. you know she lost her career essentially to a scandal that uh, confidential magazine alleged that she was gay and uh you know, I, you just want to say to somebody like that from old Hollywood, like, 
you know I can make this work for you. So I mean, yeah. this could be so good for your career. I know you wrote now, Tab Hunter's book. You know, I mean, <laughs> right? you have no idea like how you could yeah. use this to your advantage without ever saying I am or I'm not. Yeah, you can do right, this. Exactly. You know, and uh, she had no interest in that. You know, so she was very circumspect in the way she would give interviews and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so the and then I also want to talk about your uh, your show. Now you have a show on Turner Classic Indeed. Movies. Yes, we are now TCM family. Yes, we are. <laughs> we're in the we're in the family. But uh, you did the uh, summer of what was it? The summer. Well, the summer of darkness. Summer of darkness. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and and now this uh, now I'm on every every Sunday morning. Yes. Right? And and the fans are like... Don't go to church. What? Yeah. Well, no. That's the, your... that's the ad campaign I want to use. Sure. Go to church. The uh, Church of Noir. Yes. <laughs> you know? no, I, mean, I agree. I agree. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Sunday, Sunday services right and, here. It's, you know. And how Preach. do you... How do you curate the films? How do you choose the films? Uh, Charlie. Oh, and Charlie being Charlie Tabesher, our Lord um, Master. No, actually, TV. that's... Um, we must have favorites. Of course, of course. No, I mean, I uh, Charlie provides me with a, an inventory. Right. Like these are these are films in play. Mm-hmm. You know, that are available. Uh, that are available, and then I, you know, it's a big list, and I pick f- the year's supply mm-hmm. from from that list mm-hmm. for various reasons. You know, it it might be this film isn't well known enough. Yeah. I would like more people to see this uh it might be that i i have a really good story to absolutely absolutely with the film um you know there are a lot of different reasons why you choose to show a film Mm -hmm. uh and then charlie schedules it all so i pick the films but charlie decides where they fit in tcm schedule right and so there's a um so the to me that we always talk about um great noir directors but uh, and and who are some of the great noir writers that you like? I mean, got the obvious ones, you know. Uh, well, Post yeah. I mean, there's there's and... there are the guys who wrote like the source material, like James mm-hmm. M. Cain with the Postman always yeah. runs twice, and uh, you know Raymond Chandler is everybody's favorite. I think he's probably inspired more writers to become writers uh-huh. than anybody else because of his prose style. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Dashiell Hammett. I think he's like the godfather of of everybody who writes crime fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, and there's a but then there are great screenwriters. There's a there's a fellow named Jonathan Latimer who's a tremendous screenwriter who wrote crime fiction novels, but really found his his thing, his niche, uh, writing film noir. Like he mm-hmm. wrote the script for The Big Clock. He wrote the uh, you know, he adapted Hammett when he did the the Glass Key, the Alan mm-hmm. Ladd version of the Glass Key. Uh, he's he's just a tremendous uh, screenwriter. He did a picture, like one picture that I'm really dying to show at some point. Have you ever seen Alias Nick Beale with mm. Ray Milland? No. It's like a Faustian noir uh-huh. where Ray Milland actually plays the devil, wow. and and he comes to entice Thomas Mitchell, who uh-huh. is a, a DA running for governor, right? Uh, He's going to corrupt him, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it, it's just a beautiful film. It's a, it's like a, it looks like a film noir, but it's a morality tale and a Faust story, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic. And Jonathan Latimer wrote that screenplay, and John Farrow directed it, and it's just a magnificent film that that nobody has seen. Yeah, I, I've shown the film at my festivals, but I don't think TCM has ever aired it for some. Usually, it's there's some rights reason that right. has it tied up that you can't broadcast it. You can show it in a movie theater, but you can't broadcast it on on the air. Yeah, there's also some um, uh, great female writers too of oh. noir where they seem to have more of an opportunity. You know, uh, for films. well, yeah. This is did, on your show. Did you have you ever done anything about Joan Harrison? Well, that's that may be coming up. For, oh, okay, good. Uh, yeah, next good. Uh, year's Trailblazing Women, we may yes. be doing uh, women behind the scenes, and Joan Harrison would would be in play. Uh, completely overlooked in the history of Hollywood, and a very important figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was Alfred Hitchcock's secretary, mm-hmm. and then became a and worked on screenplays with Hitchcock and with uh, his wife, with Alma. And uh, 
and and then became a producer in her own right and mm -hmm. uh, worked on all the screenplays. And I think she was like the preeminent for a while. She was the preeminent producer of film noir mm -hmm. in Hollywood. Uh, she did Phantom Lady with Robert Siadmak, who's my favorite noir director. Mm -hmm. uh, so she did Phantom Lady and Ride the Pink Horse. And oh, uh, wait, that's uh, one of my favorites. Uh, We've talked about that one. They, they, they won't believe Dorothy me. Dorothy Hughes. With, uh, yeah, Dorothy B. Hughes, another one. And of course, the writer who I think doesn't get the respect that she deserves, because when everybody talks about noir writers, they talk about all the people we just mentioned, right? Hammett, Chandler, Kane. Mm -hmm. Jim Thompson, David Goodis, all this, and they don't mention Patricia Highsmith. And Patricia Highsmith is exactly. the, is the most noirish writer yes. of all of them, right? And yeah. uh, the talented Mr. Ripley, and and many other stories. And and now, of course, people know her as the author of Carol, mm -hmm. which Kate Blanchett and, and Rooney Mara did the Todd Hughes film, uh, Todd Haynes film. Right? Yes, Todd Haynes, Haynes film. Yes, yes. <laughs> Todd Hughes is a guy that I know. What am I saying? I'm going to give him credit for a film that he never made. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's talk about some of my. I just want you the uh, just for fun. We're going to talk about my personal favorite list of noirs, and you can do yours. Okay. But I put together these are mine. Uh, Double Indemnity is probably my number one. Okay. Laura. Probably my number two. I put Nightmare Alley as my number three. Okay. Detour, uh, uh, in a lonely place. Ride okay. the pink horse, uh, and uh, the big heat are okay. kind of like my. We're showing the big heat, and that's their closing day oh. of the festival coming up. One and you know we're showing it with Wicked Woman. Have okay, you ever I seen I Wicked go. What Woman? day is it? I gotta go. Sunday. 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 All right, yeah. I'll be there. Everyone, this is we're gonna we're putting the show up tomorrow. Sunday night, I'll be there. Okay, very no good. No autographs, very please. Good. <laughs> Wicked Woman will slay you. It's incredible. Yeah, I haven't film. seen that one. It's an incredible film. Really tawdry. Tawdry. Defined. Oh, well, that's tawdry. what I love. They're all tawdry. They're also psychopaths. And uh, <laughs> Lee Marvin is. But you, you have some. What are your some okay. of your favorites? Uh, I'm going to say a, a couple of films that you just mentioned are definitely on my list. Uh, you know, I get asked this question so often that it's yeah. like I have to have a number one. So, uh, yeah. Years ago, I. I'm not going to say I arbitrarily decided this, <laughs> but I decided that In a Lonely Place was number one. That is my number one favorite film. Yeah. And, and people say, why? And I say, because it's about a writer. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's why. You know, it's a, it's a film noir movie about a writer. And I love the movie, and I love the book. I love Dorothy Hughes's book. Mm -hmm. But it's totally different yes. from the movie, right? Very much. And it to me, it's one of those rare cases where wow, these are two distinctive works of art that are telling the same story mm -hmm. that means something different. Mm -hmm. And they're both really, really good. Yeah. Uh, so I like that. I like Sunset Boulevard. Oh, uh, I like... Um, Is that really a noir, though? You didn't see my promo on TCM <laughs> when, I, when I described like why it's a noir? No. Like, you know, I can't afford cable. <laughs> like... <laughs> Young, younger that. man enthralled to older woman, you know. He yeah. he dreams of uh, having that swimming pool in Hollywood. Yes. Everything everything goes to hell. There's lies, duplicity, all the yeah. wires get crossed. He gets the pool he always wanted okay, that's with a few slugs in his back, you know. <laughs> okay. And it's like, yeah, tell me that's not film noir. I mean, that's, that's Hollywood funny, noir. That's well, Hollywood you see, noir. I would have always said oh, it like presented as a movie about Hollywood, you know, Sunset Boulevard. Uh, but come on, that's that's like that movie know, is just dripping like gothic noir yes. sensibility. Yes. You know that when David Lynch uh, was making Eraserhead mm -hmm. at AFI, he would shoot it when he had the money, mm -hmm. and then he, very often there would be like other people working on the on the crew mm -hmm. after a few months, and he would get everybody psyched by showing them Sunset Boulevard. Oh. Like, this yeah. is the vibe yes. that we're going for. And I, nobody would ever equate Sunset Boulevard and Eraserhead, right? Yeah. But when you think about it, it's like there is a 
I get it. I totally get it. You yeah. Know? David Lynch knows his knows his noir. He does. Well, I always <laughs> think of L.A. as noir. So it's so uh, that's your your. Okay, w- Nightmare Alley is definitely on that list. Oh my Double God. Can we spend one course. minute just talking about how great Nightmare Alley is for anybody who hasn't seen it? I recommend it to everyone. I just I literally discovered it one night. That's how I came across it. I'd always heard about it, but I never saw it. And I watched The Razor's Edge, mm-hmm. and I was really in a mood for more. Tyrone More Power. Tyrone Power, yeah. And I was scrolling through YouTube, and I was like, "Oh, Nightmare Alley. Let me take. Let me check that out." And of course, it was. I had night. Lord, I was up all night long. It's horrifying. I love it. And then I went and got the book, and I yes. also has a book, which is even. Well, more- that's another one like In a Lonely Place. Yeah, great book, you know, and yeah. great, great movie, and they're they're dissimilar in in crucial yes. ways, uh, but. Yeah, Nightmare Alley, incredible. I'm sorry that your first experience with that film was on YouTube. I know. That is well, not since, the way to see that I know. movie. Since then, and then I found a, a, I got a print of it, and we played it at Cine Family, and I, I talk it up all the time. I mean, I... Now, I, you know, I have a great, I, I have a great, two great Nightmare Alley stories. Please. Uh, th- actually, three of them. If you want these, I'll try to be really quick. Sure. I, it was one of the first films that I showed when I started doing my noir festivals, mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> those years ago. And uh, I had as my guest Colleen Gray, who plays Molly yeah. in the film. And uh, she, you know, agreed to give an interview after the movie. And I will never forget, because at that point, the film was gone. It was yeah. gone. Yeah. And we were the first festival to show that movie in like 25 years. Mm-hmm. And and she was so excited, like, you know, I haven't seen this movie. I thought it was had disappeared. We showed the film, and... Colleen walked up from the audience and I mean tears were pouring down her face because she just she didn't realize how great that movie is Mm -hmm. you know it was made in the midst of you know her youth and she's working with Capra and then she's working with Henry Hathaway and all these movie stars and then when you see the movie when you're 80 something years old and you haven't seen it in 40 years it's like oh my god she said, I was involved in something that, you know, is extraordinary. Yeah. And she said, and I like, I kissed Tyrone Power. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was amazing. And then uh, I showed it at another festival one time, and I gave a big spiel about how this is Tyrone Power's movie. I mean, this movie exists because he made it happen. Yeah. Right? And this is like what I'm saying, that actors don't get enough credit right mm-hmm. i mean he wanted to make that movie he begged daryl zanuck to buy that book he signed off on everything mm-hmm. with that film and uh, I, I gave him all the credit right and as i'm walking up the aisle as the movie's starting this hand reaches out and she says thank you so much ty would have really appreciated that and it was linda christian oh ty, ty powers widow you know and and she had come to see the movie because she knew that's that's Ty's favorite film. Wow. You know, that's the thing he was most proud of. Yeah, so anyway. that was a great that was a great film. Okay, and then now I want to discuss. Uh, do you have favorite detectives? Robert Mitchum. <laughs> Robert Mitchum versus Humphrey Bogart. Who would you? Who, mm, who that, would you oh man! Who would come you, on, that who would is you nasty. Hire? That is na- Are you going to browbeat me now? They're like, I need an answer. Give me the answer. That's too hard. <laughs> really? I'd hire Mitchum. Well, I, I oh, could who also... am I going to hire? Yeah, who would you oh, hire? Oh, okay. Uh, no, I'm would, not going to make tell you choose. For, for the look, I'd hire Mitchum. But, you know, Mitchum had his entire life savings ripped off by his personal manager. So I don't know if I want him guarding oh. my money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I thought he looked better in a trench coat, though. Well, you know, did you ever uh, get to that, meet Mitchum? No, oh, no, that was. I a, I, I'm I'm uh, talking now with his son, uh-huh. uh, who who I may try to get on the show. Yes, you know, to talk about his dad, Chris Mitchum, who who and, had the single. Didn't they have a Didn't he have a, a hit song? <sighs> didn't he Didn't they do his uh, dad or Chris? I thought they both worked on. I have all the Mitchum albums. Yeah, Calypso. I mean, Calypso yeah, and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so kooky. Um, Jane Greer told me that he was he just loved to sing and that at the Christmas party every year he and Jane would entertain everybody by singing and he was like uh, Mr. Improvisation he would like do a standard Christmas carol and then change the words to something really uh, dirty wow 
Um, okay, here's my other question. Who is less, who do you trust more, Burt Lancaster or Kirk Douglas? Who do I trust more? Yeah, like who would you trust? Who, who do you think would betray you? Both Who's- of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Uh, you know, when you ask this of me, I'm always thinking of the noir versions sure. of these guys. So that's sure. what I mean. That's what so I mean. So clearly, you trust Burt Lancaster more than you trust Kirk Douglas. Yeah, I would go with Burt. You know, uh, except if he's J.J. Hunsaker in The Sweet Smell of uh. Success, where you do not trust Burt Lancaster at all. Yeah. <laughs> Burt Lancaster, uh, he's somebody that, uh, that really I just, I love more and more. And I love Kirk Douglas, but I, I love... Burt Lancaster so much in, in in films. And Glenn Ford is another one I've really underrated. Glenn Ford, very underrated, I yeah. think. You know? When I was uh when I was growing up, it's funny how these things work when you're younger, you have a different opinion of things than yes. when, as you get older. Yes. And I was not a big Glenn Ford fan when I was a kid because you love Mitchum. You know, I mean yeah. when I was younger I had this little mantra, you know, it was like not what, not what would Jesus do. It was what would Mitchum do, right? I mean, that's like the credo, you know, and we yeah. all know. And then you learn what the answer to that was, and it's like, mm, you could do time for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> while he's playing his calypso. Yeah, he should have said no. Not she should have said no. He should have said no. But um, anyway, but Glenn Ford is one of those guys that the more I see of him, it's like, wow. That, big Heat. Big Heat is fantastic. Uh, there, there's a great movie he did called Framed, which is a wonderful noir film. Yeah, from 1947. Anyway, and he was great in westerns and all this other stuff. See, so that's the thing. When you ask me about Kirk Douglas, it's like, well, there's the Kirk Douglas in noir, which is you know out of the past and Ace yeah. in the Hole and Strange Love of Martha Ivers, and it's like, whoa, don't trust this guy. Never. But then, the, then there's the other Kirk Douglas. There's Spartacus. You yeah, know? he changed. Yeah, yes. yeah, you know, and I mean, who wouldn't throw in with Spartacus? You know, is uh, is the and now I'm just going to quiz you. Is the bad and the beautiful a noir? The bad and the beautiful. I'm going to call what, you up late. Where they? Like, yeah, <laughs> carrying on your father's legacy. Eddie, is the is the bad and the beautiful a noir? Uh, that I have a special designation for films like that. Okay, oh, thank you, Father Film. It is noir stained. Ooh, oh. oh, I love that. I love yes. that. So The Bad and the Beautiful is definitely noir stained. What about color noirs? Uh, can happen. I'm sorry, leave her to heaven with Gene Tierney. Yep, I agree. It's, it's all, I mean, I is agree. it a noir? Well, I will say it's like the most perverse De- movie of the 1940s, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I don't want to talk spoilers, but the stuff that happens in that movie is like insanely perverse. Yes. So... Uh, I have to go with that. Uh, and she's the protagonist, right? You think that Cornell Wilde is the protagonist of that movie, but he's yeah. just this dummy that, you know. I know. Uh, she, is, she is the engine that drives that movie. Uh, yeah, and she is very, very sick. Yeah, I love, well, I love Jean Tierney. She's yeah. amazing in that. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit because I want to get into Grindhouse movies. Oh, okay. Just so we're not all noir. Take us down that raunchy road. All right, road. Ch- kids, get out of Okay, kids, get out of the room. No, um, <laughs> when I was growing growing up, uh, you know, to my parents, you know, you'd go see Grindhouse movies at the at the drive, and we had dusk till dawn. Mm. So you know, around three a.m., you'd be like, "What the heck is this?" It's okay. was like when everything would go up. But my but but if you were going to see uh, adult movies, you know, there was that was the Portland drive-in in. Uh, you know, it was okay. Sp- now I'm, I'm, you know, anybody who's been alive as long as I have now, we're we're now placing you, yeah, because that is an era, yeah, that was very specific time, mm-hmm. and it was short, yeah, where you could go see like dirty movies in a drive-in. I mean, that that's yeah. like unthinkable but like i remember as a kid it was you know they had a very high fence around the portland drive <laughs> can you imagine it seems so innocent in a way and i mean a dirty movie would be like andy warhol's trash or you know what i mean midnight cowboy was x-rated but well, right. yes but and then those this, aren't those aren't grindhouse you know that's not adult well, no, you're right. Midnight Cowboy wasn't an adults only movie, but it wasn't a sex picture, right? Right, but then it moves into, you know, Beyond the Valley well, I mean, of the yeah. Dolls yeah. and all of and that. And then and then, you know, I did my research when yeah. I wrote this book. You wrote and a I, book. And what's your book called? It's it's called Grindhouse: The Forbidden World of Adults Only Cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh now sadly out of print, but that, I don't think that will be for long. 
I think we're going to bring available. That one. We're going to bring that one back. on the TCM yeah. website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on TCM, kids, it's like you know that your that their Saturday uh, midnight slot. It's like I got a few films I could suggest for that uh, yes. that slot. You know, um, but it is weird because like Deep Throat did play at drive-ins. Yes. Well, excuse me. Yeah. But it did, and it's, when you think about it, it's like how perfect is that? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, you're in your car, right? It's like, hmm, this is before the invention of the video cassette recorder where you got to watch it in the privacy of your own home. Well, it's, but, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we uh, uh, talked to Thora Birch, and that interview is coming up in a bit, and her parents' involvement in uh, Deep Throat. And again, these movies were supposed to be artistic films, you know, on one level. I guess it's like saying black exploitation is supposed to be. You know. it, it all depends on who's making the film, right? I mean, right. I'm sure the people putting up the money, the 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 <clears throat> mobsters that put up the money right. for Deep Throat really didn't care about its artistic pretensions. It's like, this happens for this amount of time on screen, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Believe me, I've worked with... Uh producers that have the same yeah. same vibe but it's uh you know but that that's the adult movie business it's yeah it, it, the guy generally the guy right uh behind the camera is like thinks he's making art mm-hmm. at some point they think they're making and i'm going to be the guy that's going to make an art film out of yes stuff you know i've seen some yeah in fact you know uh, it's like this is and and i would say i don't know if it's art but it's a little more tolerable <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh, the great writer Elaine May actually did a failed play. Uh, well, I don't want to say failed. It was a limited run. A limited run play. There Sorry. You go. Good job. Uh, <laughs> nice save. Adult wow, entertainment. Awesome. But it was it, that was what it was about with Danny Aiello and Jeannie Berlin. Fantastic play. But they were all trying to make an adult movie. That one artistic is th- adult film. They should try it again. Yeah. Because that, that one is waiting to be done. Yeah. You know? It's a wonderful play. Um, what are some of your favorite, do you have favorite Grindhouse movies? Uh, well, you know, boy, <laughs> now you're really putting me on the spot. There are, there are a few. Um, I mean, I, I do like Russ Meyers films, uh-huh. you know, just because he, he clearly was like a guy who knew how to make a movie. Right. And he had his obsessions and, you know, what seemed like so horrific at one time, like mm-hmm. this guy's insane, you know? Yeah. And then you see what comes later and you're like, God, love Russ. He was <laughs> like, he, he had it under control, you know? He <laughs> So there is that. And plus, you know, um, you could do a whole thing about, uh, you should do this with trailblazing women. You should like find the women who are in his movies. Yeah. Because that's a very interesting, contentious thing where mm-hmm. it's like women who are in sex films mm-hmm. but they're allowed to like have their power in these films because that's what Russ Meyer did I mean he, yeah. he was only interested in strong women who like to have sex that right. was that was what he did mm-hmm. right which is very liberating but if it's a guy making the movie mm-hmm. that gets a lot of people's noses out of joint you know a lot of women are like man it's still a guy you know yeah. it's still all for the guy well, yeah. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls just got a uh, a Criterion uh, collection. So. Well, because it's written by Roger Ebert. Uh, yes, <laughs> the great Roger Ebert. Uh, so we only have a couple minutes left. We have the I mentioned the top of the show, the TCM Film Festival coming up April sixth uh, to the ninth, and the schedule. Any highlights you're looking forward to? Well, yeah, I heard you at the top talking about Lee Grant being there, and I'm yes. very excited that I will get to do a thing with Lee Grant. We'll uh, introduce Detective Story Fantastic. with Kirk Douglas. Yes, with Kirk Douglas. Uh, her first movie, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm telling you, it's quite an accomplishment to like steal a movie out from under Kirk Douglas. Yeah, <laughs> is that, that's saying something? And she's just fantastic in that. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm introducing, you know, I'm introducing the Maltese Falcon. What a shock. What a surprise. Yeah. Uh, but also Unfaithfully Yours, the Preston oh, Sturgis movie with Rex, Rex Harrison? Harrison and Linda Darnell. I love that noir comedy, right? Okay, I mean, wait a it's, Come uh, on, Eddie. Come on. A noir comedy. Really? Oh, because it's about murder? It's about, a, uh, yeah, conductor uh, plotting to murder his wife. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a noir plot mm-hmm. that Preston Sturgis writes it as a comedy. Like, what could go wrong? Yeah. I mean, isn't that a premise of film noir? Like, I'm going to do this thing. What could go wrong? 
Well, he just says, yeah, same thing, only what goes wrong is hysterically funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's still all in the service of killing your wife. Yes. <laughs> but, it, but it becomes this slapsticky thing, and Rex Harrison is just fantastic in that film. Yeah, he is. He really, I love that one. Well, I love the, uh, the, you know, the fans. It becomes almost like a reunion. Oh, um, absolutely, yeah. Of us, uh, and we also participated in, in now, no longer the, the TCM cruise. It was, we sailed our, our final uh, sail last, uh, you know, last fall. And I really missed that. I always thought it was yeah. fun. We were like, uh, you know, shipmates. We were in the yes. adjoining cabins, you know. I kept <laughs> I waiting for like the Marx Brothers to break through the door. <laughs> or something. I know, but I said at the top, it was like, I was, as I was entering my room for the night, you would always be going out. And I was, you know, I'm I'm such a lightweight. I didn't, you know. I hope I didn't wake you when I came back at four o'clock in the morning, you know. No. uh, There's no, I mean, literally the secret is, you know, they they say the bar is closed, but when you know the right people on the cruise, the bar oh. never closes. You know? It was fun. It was it was really uh, it was really a great a great time. Okay, so one last time, did uh, give everyone the information about the Noir Festival, uh, which is happening right now. The Noir Festival is happening right now yes. at the Egyptian Theater on Hollywood at Boulevard, sixty seven twelve Hollywood Boulevard. In the City of Angels. Uh, Yes. Uh, So that is happening right now. In its 19th year. In its 19th year. From Monday to Thursday, my colleague Alan Rohde from the Film Noir Foundation will be hosting Mm -hmm. the screenings. And then I will be in uh, Friday to Sunday. And then um, I'll see you there for The Big Heat and Wicked Woman. And then uh, then I take a couple of days off uh, yeah. to recuperate, and then we do TCM. Uh, I may have to. I may wear a veil though and an anklet for my, my for the big heat. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Eddie, it's been so great to have you here. It has been. You can yes. find Eddie on Twitter at Noir Foundation, and his website is eddiemuller.com. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you, Tamara. This was a great pleasure. You can buy Ileana's book, I Blame Dennis Hopper, now at a paperback and on um, Amazon. It's a great read. You should buy it. Also, like our Facebook page. And the website for the show is ileanaspodcast.com. And and the fans were cheated because... They didn't get to see Tamara sitting over here on the couch <laughs> in her Barbara Stanwyck double indemnity pose. Like, you really should have the anklet, you know? Yes. That's a honey of an anklet you have there, Mrs. Dietrichson. You know? the, uh, we're going to go in a, well, uh, the, you know, the, I just found out the Dietrichson uh, apartments are still, they're still around her house. I know, where, I know exactly where the house is. Yeah. yeah. So we should do a, uh, that would be fun, after hours. That'd be fun, right? A noir Ooh, tour? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hard to get to. It is hard oh, it to is. get to. Somebody, but, plus but, somebody lives there. So, well, you know, it's interesting. The woman who lives there likes the fact that it's the double indemnity house. The previous yeah. owner did not. I say, I say. And was not good about people coming up and like, oh, this is the place, you know. Yeah. And, and this, this woman, I'm sure she still doesn't want you to bother her. But I yeah. think she's she's more into it being the house. So. Yeah, coming in costume and yeah. posing in front of the house. <laughs> I'm sorry. I tried. There is, I'm sorry. There is no cosplay in noir, right? <laughs> no. The people who dress oh, up, goodness. they actually dress like that. All right. Right, right? exactly. Every day. Uh, yeah. Okay, as we always say, everyone's life is a movie. Sometimes it's a noir movie with a beginning, a middle, and a very... Ask the President of the United States. Ah. (laughs) Ah. Very noir ending. Eddie Muller, thank you so much. You're Uh, very welcome. Thank you, Eliana. Thank you. you. Bye-bye, everyone. See you next time, everybody. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.